going to dive right into the message today. We're in the second installment of this teaching series that we began last week called Pros and Cons, Decision-Making for Geniuses. And one of the things that has happened as I've been reading and preparing and praying for this series is I have become absolutely overwhelmed with how phenomenal you and I are as decision makers. I don't know if you even realize what a monster decision maker you are day in and day out. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him, you got it going on. Now let, me, let me just explain what I mean by that by way of a few statistics. Every single day, we make 227 decisions. Did you know that? 227 decisions about food only. 227, average. The average adult makes 35,000 remotely conscious decisions every day. I'm exhausted. 35,000 that are remotely conscious. I'm not even talking about the things that happen below the radar. We spend an average of three hours a day deciding what to eat, what time to go to bed, and what to wear and what to watch. How many times have you been asked, what do you want for dinner? I can't tell you the number of times that I look at Julie when she asks me that question and say, I don't care, I don't want to make a decision. Anybody else say that? That happens all the time in our household. This is fascinating. Deciding what to eat, what TV show or film to watch were found to be the most difficult decisions to make. <laughs> Who to marry? That's easy. But what are we going to watch? <laughs> Followed closely by what to wear and whether to buy something new. That, that's fascinating. This is fascinating too. We change our minds on average twice per decision. 11% of us are honest and admitting to changing their mind five or more times per decision. That is a lot going on in this massive computer perched atop your shoulders. Think about that. 226 decisions, 27, just 226.7, so round up. 200, see, I just made a decision right there. 227 decisions a day just about food. That is mind-blowing. It's absolutely amazing. Now, let me ask you to think about this. What if you were to do every day 226 burpees or 226 push-ups or sit-ups? What if you were to run 226 miles every day? You'd be like, Make that, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is not sustainable. And of course, physically, you would be exactly right. But may I suggest to you that 35,000 decisions a day is equally unsustainable. We can't do this long term. Daniel Levitan is a neuroscientist and a cognitive psychologist. And as he has studied our brains and how they operate and run that against the pace of life that we live day in and day out, he writes this. Asking the brain to shift attention from one activity to another causes the prefrontal cortex and the striatum 
to burn up oxygenated glucose, the same fuel that they need to stay on task. Anybody ever walk into a room and forget why you walked into the room? And the kind of rapid, continual shifting we do with multitasking causes the brain to burn through fuel so quickly that we feel exhausted and disoriented after even a short time. We've literally depleted the nutrients in our brain. This leads to compromises in both cognitive and physical performance. Among other things, repeated task switching leads to anxiety, which raises levels of the stress hormone cortisol in the brain, which in turn can lead to aggressive and impulsive behavior. I don't care what we eat, just make a decision. That is real. And, and I think a lot of times, I read this week, as a matter of fact, that most husbands and wives get into arguments. You ready for this? Because one or both of them is hungry. Hangry is a real thing. Our brains use glucose and energy the same way our muscles do. And when we use our brain and make decision all the t decisions all the time, we're burning precious, limited, finite fuel supplies. This is not the exception. This is the norm. Decision fatigue, information overload. It is absolutely the norm. Now, we live in a day and an age that says, of course, information is power. So, more information is more power, right? Wrong. When you have unlimited access to unlimited, unedited information, it's not more power. It's impotence. It's paralysis. It's standing in the cereal aisle at HEB and going, oh, no. It's too many. What do I do? If you ask someone who is in high school or college, if you could be anything you wanted to be in the world, what would you want to be? Money's no object, no limitations. You could do whatever you wanted to do. Put your mind to it. You could do it. Watch them stare back at you with a blank expression on their face. A blank canvas is, sounds like a great option until you have to decide what color paint to start with. Ask any writer and they will tell you the scariest image in the whole world is the blinking cursor on the computer screen. Conventional wisdom has gotten us to this place. Conventional wisdom tells us more information equals more power and conventional wisdom is absolutely running us into the ditch. If conventional wisdom is counterproductive, and it is, what we need instead is unconventional wisdom. Unconventional wisdom is not necessarily new. It's just countercultural. And since the beginning of God's interacting with humanity, we have been called to run counter to the culture. Ever since the Garden of Eden, we have been presented with options different from what God has given us that have led us away from life, joy, peace, purpose, order, and structure, and enjoyment. All of the options that are available to us take us away from life. 
They create disorder. They create chaos. Unconventional wisdom, the wisdom of God runs counter to the world. Look at what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this is Paul under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit writing to the church at Corinth, and he says this, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by the world standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. Tell your neighbor with a smile on your face, be a fool. Now, you have to understand the context of that charge, that encouragement, that we adopt the wisdom of God over and against the wisdom of this world, that we decide we're going to follow what God says more than what the world says. Remember our definition of wisdom from last week? Our definition of wisdom simply says wisdom in God's terms is the appropriate application of God's principles in practice. It's the appropriate application of God's principles in practice. Now, there are a lot of principles in here that I could inappropriately apply. That's not wisdom. But neither is the wisdom to just know the principles. True wisdom is putting those principles appropriately into practice making it a reality. Unconventional wisdom requires an extraordinary, extravagant amount of courage. It takes a lot of courage to run counter to the culture. How many football fans do we have in the room today? Okay, how many of y'all are Cowboys fans? Let me just see a show of hands. Okay, we have a support group for y'all. <laughs> I decided this year... At the beginning of the football season, Julie will tell you, and I've held to this all the way through. I know they're in the playoffs. I decided not to care about the Cowboys. My entire life, for 56 years, I have lived and died with the Cowboys. For the last 30, they've broken my heart. <laughs> and I said, no more. It, you know, if, if somebody keeps breaking your heart, it's a them problem. So I just kind of step back and I watch and I'll say, did they win? Did they lose? Okay, interesting, fascinating, irrelevant to my life, but we're going to move on. There's something fascinating in football. Now, I know that currently offense is all the rage and we're going to toss the pigskin around the park and spread offense, blah, 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 blah. Can I take you back to a fundamental football play that I think applies directly to where we are? It's called the counter tray, the counter run in NFL football or any, any level of football. Here's the counter run in football. The quarterback takes the snap and steps one, one, one direction or the other. Now, the offensive linemen begin pulling and they come this way. One group is going this way. When the quarterback goes this way, an overreactive defense is gonna move with the direction of the ball. They're, they're like a, a dog on point. When they go that way, the quarterback then hands the ball to the running back who's cutting back against the grain. That's the counter offense. As followers of Christ, we are called to run a counter offense every day of our lives. 
we run against the grain. We find the gaps. When they zig, we zag. The counter offense is the Christian's calling card. This is what we do. This is, this is who we are. I learned something this week. How many of you know what a trifecta is in horse racing gambling? I, know, I should admit to that. That's okay. How many of you know what a trifecta is? I didn't, I'd heard the word my whole life. I didn't know what it was. When you, when you place a bet on a horse, you, you say, I bet on this horse to win, place, or show, right? First, second, or third. Well, a trifecta is when you correctly wager the winner, the second place, and the third place. That's the trifecta. And, when you, and listen, when you get that trifecta, the payoff is ginormous. It's like, it's like winning to a whole nother level. Now, I'm not advocating gambling. I'm just using that as an example. God has given us a wisdom trifecta, a wisdom trifecta that has a massive payoff counter to the culture's wisdom. The wisdom trifecta is Scripture, the Word of God. When we open this book looking for answers, looking for wisdom, looking for insights, precepts, and principles, we will find them. That is a promise of God. Now, if you open this book as a cynic, if you open this book to prove it wrong, you, you, can, you can knock yourself out on that. But right now, let's just understand that from a Christian worldview, from a biblical perspective, Scripture is part of the wisdom trifecta. The second part of the wisdom trifecta is prayer. This is you and God, God and me, just conversing back and forth, heart to heart, if you will. Prayer, many times, is where God will impress upon us in our minds and in our hearts a direction or a choice that he wants us to make, a direction he wants us to go. Combined with Scripture, then you have a powerful, powerful duo. Scripture, prayer, and by the way, God will never lead you to do something in prayer that is counter to Scripture. I, I, we, we see that all the time, don't we? I've, I've, you know, I feel led. Well, that's great, but run it through the grid of Scripture. Run it through the filter, the sane of God's Word. Those things should always line up. And if, if you want to do something, if you feel like doing something counter to Scripture, woe up. We're going to get to that in just a few minutes. But there's Scripture, there's prayer, but then there's also the church. The church. Proverbs tells us over and over and over and over again the value of godly counsel, of talking to people who love God more than they love me, who will tell me the truth, what I need to hear and not just what I want to hear. Nobody tells me the truth like Julie Richard. I mean the truth. She's like, oh, honey, that, that sermon illustration, I know what you were trying to do, but it didn't work. <laughs> now, she's usually, it's usually in private, about, you know, just the two of us. Or she'll say, where did you get that? I can't. She'll, she'll tell me what I need to hear. Years ago, we were in Mississippi visiting her family, and 
her mom said something that was one of the funniest things I've ever heard. She said, you know, the other day I was talking to daddy, and he said something, Julie's dad. She goes, I was talking to daddy, and he was just kind of short with me and abrupt. He was just kind of rude, and I almost said something. Julie, Julie said, oh, no, Mom, not almost said something. Almost? That, whoa, that's strong, Mom. <laughs> now, I'll tell you that to tell you this. Julie took that example from her mother, who was an incredible woman. And I can tell you, a lot has chosen to never almost say something. If Julie thinks it, she's going to tell it to me. She's kind. She's gracious. But that's part of the mystery and the miracle of the church, the body of Christ, those people who come into our lives, that God brings into our lives, who can speak wisdom into our lives, who can help us navigate big choices, big decisions, bigger than what we're going to have for lunch. But those people who can say, Mac, have you thought about, boom, or you know what, I think this, this section of Scripture applies to the choice and the decision you're making. The principles enumerated here can really help guide you. People who know more, people who have been through more, people who have lived more. So between Scripture and prayer and the church, the body of Christ coming together. But see, here's the thing about the church. You got to be a part it's great for those of you who are just kicking the tires and have just shown up for the first time. Man, that's a massive step forward, and we celebrate that. But if you're not soon or, or sometimes soon connecting with other people, getting to know people, building life with people, then, then you're missing out on some of the best stuff God has for us in this mystery, in this miracle called the church. How many of us remember the food pyramid? Remember the food pyramid from like, I think this was adopted by the USDA in 1992, 100 years ago. Remember the food pyramid? Let's see the food pyramid. You may remember this. If you don't remember it, what they said was that a healthy diet of what we intake in food begins with cereals and grains on the bottom. That was Remember back in the 90s, we were all eating pasta like it was going out of style? That was where we learned that gluten would kill us. So we start with grains and cereals. That's the base. We, we need to eat a lot of those. Then coming up from there, we do fruits and vegetables. But make sure the vegetables outweigh the fruits. I know fruit tastes better, but anyway. Coming up from there, you have the meats and proteins. And then at the very top of the pyramid, just that little, little point of the pyramid, you can have some sugars and some fats, but very, very, very little bit. That was the food pyramid. Well, this week, I came across something that I thought was so brilliant that I wanted to share it with you. I didn't come up with this, but it's called the Wisdom Pyramid. The Wisdom Pyramid. And I want us to think about this in terms of the food pyramid. That is our intake. What do we, what do we take in? What is the spiritual, the psychological, the mental, the emotional energy that we're consuming and digesting and metabolizing to feed the wisdom muscle in our lives. The wisdom pyramid begins with scripture. This is where we start. We start with the word of God. This is why we begin at the earliest ages of LHC kids 
using Scripture, teaching Scripture, teaching kids and families to memorize the Bible so that it, it just becomes a part of the fiber of their being. Scripture, we move up from Scripture and we come to the church. We, we gather together, we learn together, we grow together. To be sure, a relationship with Christ, which is the bottom line, is absolutely personal, but it's never private. It's personal, but not private. It's personal, it's direct communication. We don't need an intercessor between us and Jesus. Jesus is our intercessor. But man, we need the church. It's the church that's gonna, that's gonna help us live lives that honor God, that, that glorify God and bring good to us. It's the church that's gonna fight for my marriage when it gets sideways. It's the church that's gonna partner with parents. It's the church that's gonna help me to understand how work ties to my faith and what I do every day matters eternally. That, that's, that's the next level up. From the church, we come to nature and beauty. Just, just walking outside. Romans chapter one tells us that everything we need to know about God is evident in the created order. I've started doing something in the last few weeks with my dog, Gus. Not every day, but three or four or five days a week, I will take Gus to a park close to our house and just walk. No headphones, just, just Gus and me walking outside. I cannot tell you the difference it makes just in my attitude, just in the clarity of my thinking, just being outside, just being in nature. Next up from Nature and Beauty, we have books. Books that we read, books that people have written. God has written scripture, people write books. And there are a lot of great books out there. There is also a lot of, how should I say this? Not great books. There are some quacks that get publishing contracts. We have to be discerning. We have to be wise about what we take in. Coming up from there, you can find good information on the internet. The internet. I'm not here to rail on technology, rant against social media, but let's just keep in mind that idea that I shared with you earlier that unlimited access to unlimited information is not helpful because a lot of that unlimited information is also unedited. It's unnecessary, and in a lot of cases, it is untrue, and yet we take this stuff in and go, oh, well, I read it. On Reddit, it might, and we start making decisions. We start living our lives like that, and then coming up from there would be social media. We put the little Tweety Bird there. Social media is not in and of itself bad. It can be, to be sure. One of the, one of the unintended, unintended consequences of social media is this. It's exhausting because your life and my life, we already had enough challenge, enough drama, enough issues. that Nobody was short on any of those things. But now, when we go through social media, it sucks us into the vortex of other people's challenges and drama and complexities and challenges. It, it, it sucks us in, and now it's not like we just kind of walk by that. Oh, that was interesting. No, no, no. We now carry that emotional weight and baggage with us wherever we go from that 
mindless scrolling. Again, I'm not railing against social media in and of itself. Social media is neutral. It's like money. Social media is an amplifier of good, bad, and ugly. Whatever's there already, that's what's going to come out. It's kind of like your speaker system at home. If your speaker system at home is pumping out Waylon Jennings and Charlie Crockett, that's a good use of your speaker system. If it's Nickelback, So it's just an amplifier. But I want you to notice something about the wisdom pyramid, from scripture to church to nature and beauty, books, internet, social media. It starts with the most durable, the most enduring, the most eternal, and goes up from there to the most fleeting. See, the thing about social media is it automatically puts us in an echo chamber. The algorithms, they they look at what we click and what we like, and then they give us more of that. So then that puts us only around people who think and believe like we do, and all of a sudden we end up in the circle patting each other on the back, telling each other how right we are and how wrong everybody else is. And that information that is tailored just for you feeds the fire of the lie that we are the center of the universe. So you have to you have to consume, you have to participate with social media super intentionally, super deliberately. In 2013, anxiety and depression began a meteoric rise in teenagers, particularly teenage young women. It had hovered around 12 to 15% prior to that and ebbed and flowed, but stayed roughly in that place. In 2013, it began to rise exponentially to where in 2020, 25% of students are clinically depressed and anxious. 2013, 2012 was the year that Facebook bought Instagram and everybody began scrolling and comparing their lives to other people's highlights. And the results have been devastating. We have to be intentional. We have to understand what it is that God is doing. Now, look at the wisdom pyramid. The world has done exactly the opposite. Conventional wisdom stands the wisdom pyramid on the tip. Flip it for me. Social media is the center of the universe. Some of us are more connected to Tucker Carlson and Rachel Maddow than we are the word of God. We, we spend more time watching that junk than we do investing in seeing what God says biblically and getting to know and live life with each other. The thing about this pyramid is if you park it on its point, it is easily toppled. Very, very little has to happen for that house of cards to come crashing down. Unconventional wisdom begins with the Word of God. I want you to look in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Part of this will sound familiar to those of you who have been around here for a while, but I'm going to go back a few verses before to catch some context that I think is particularly helpful. This is the Apostle Paul writing to his 
pastoral protege, Timothy, and he says this, starting with verse 15, 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, Now you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Today is all about the foundation, baby. It is all about using the foundation of Scripture for wisdom in our lives. Number one, from this passage, Paul says, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. We have to prioritize the wisdom of Scripture. Prioritize the wisdom of Scripture above every other wisdom there is. Above every other input. Prioritize. What does he say? You have been taught the scripture since you were a young child, and they gave you the wisdom that led to salvation in Christ. It's by the word of God, the Bible, that we even know we need salvation. You don't know that. You and I, we come into this world thinking, we're the bomb. We are the center of the world. But the Bible helpfully and graciously and lovingly corrects that misassumption. The Bible changes everything. The Bible says, no, no, no. The world is about God. He created it. He is the center of the universe. We are to orient our lives around him. We are made in his image. We're not supposed to make God in our image. We're not worthy. We're not able. We don't have the capacity to conceive of God. Well, I couldn't believe in a God who, fill in the blank. Well, God would never fill in the blank. Well, check Scripture. Prioritize the wisdom of Scripture. Second of all, recognize the authority of Scripture. Recognize the authority of Scripture. You understand authority when you understand the author. All Scripture is inspired by God. Inspired is not like when somebody writes a song and, you know, the muse comes and lights on their shoulder. That's not what it means. The words inspired by God in the original language means God breathed. God gave the Bible. He gave us Scripture in his infinite grace and truth, in his wisdom and sovereignty, in his power and his love. He's given us the Bible, and all Scripture is God-breathed. I want to introduce a word to, to you. And some of you may know this word, but I, I doubt it. Every single one of us has to be intentional and deliberate about our hermeneutic. You have a hermeneutic. A hermeneutic just means your interpretation, the way you approach Scripture. Do you look at life and people through the lens of Scripture, or do you look at Scripture through the lens of life and people? 
That's a very, very fine line. But a healthy and intellectual integrity of hermeneutic is to look at life and people, the world through the lens of scripture. I don't change what the Bible says. Now, interpreting it can be hard in places, to be sure. I'm not minimizing that. But it's not as hard as we make it. And, and I, I've shared this with you before. I remember when Julie and I were dating. This is an example of a hermeneutic. We knew that the Bible said sex is a gift from God to be reserved and preserved and protected between man and wife. We, we knew that. That's pretty cut and dried, straight and true. So, as a couple, we committed ourselves to living that kind of a lifestyle. We, we waited until we were married. We protected and preserved it for the covenant of marriage. Now, I will tell you, during our engagement, I scoured Scripture looking for a loophole. I was like, God, surely. I mean, we're engaged. He's like, no. Marriage, the covenant, until the covenant is cut, until the covenant is made, you're not committed. At that moment, you're committed. At that moment, then you have a context safe for this gift. That's just one example of recognizing the authority of Scripture. But I love that the Bible continues. And it's not just, it's not just a fact of, prioritizing the wisdom or recognizing the authority, the Bible then goes on to say, utilize the principles of Scripture. What did Paul say? It is useful for teaching and correcting, showing us what is wrong in our lives, but also training us for the good stuff, the stuff that God has already decided he wants us to do. That starts with Scripture. If you want to know God's will, start with Scripture. Use the principles. Utilize those principles. Put them into practice. This is how we begin to live in wisdom. This is how we begin to live in unconventional, counter-cultural wisdom. You may have heard it said before. Everybody wants to make a difference until it's time to be different. Unconventional wisdom is different. It is counter it is, it, is, it is peculiar. But you may have also heard it said before that normal is overrated. We're not called to be normal. We're called to live above the norm. We're called to be beyond the norm. God says be holy, for I am holy. Holiness means conforming my life to the image of God. Holiness means submitting my life to the Word of God. Now, I, I, I know for every one of us, pastor included, that's a tall order. But remember the very beginning of what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, you were taught the Scriptures from childhood. They have given you the wisdom to receive salvation. The wisdom, to, that's, that's where it begins. 1 Corinthians 1, 24 through 25. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, which that, that means everybody, by the way. If, if you're Jewish, you're not a Gentile, but if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. Christ 
is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. God's wisdom is foolishness to the world. It's not foolish, but to the world it's foolish. But wouldn't you agree that conventional wisdom isn't working? Conventional wisdom has got us completely depleted and distracted. Which is nothing new, by the way. If you'll remember the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve living in perfect harmony and fellowship with God when they're tempted. They're tempted by a distraction. Did, did God really say don't eat from that tree? And Eve who to her credit was at least in the fight. We don't know where Adam was at this moment. Eve said, yeah, he did say that. He goes, no, 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 God was lying to you. It's not that you'll have the knowledge and information of good and evil. He doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to become him. He's holding out on you. And that lie persists to the present day. Anytime I take the word of God and wonder about it or decide there's something different or better than what's in these pages, I'm buying that lie. I'm living that lie. There is nothing better than intimacy with God. There is nothing more than relationship with Christ. And out of that flows everything. Everything that matters, everything that lasts, everything that endures. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. You know, the Bible says that we are all born into this condition of brokenness, of sin. We're, we are spiritual descendants. We are heirs of Adam and Eve. And the Bible says, Jesus is the answer. The forgiveness that he facilitated through his death, burial, and resurrection is available to anyone who would follow him. The one who came to us full of grace and truth. If you're here today and you want to begin living in that, relationship, that grace and that truth with the one who embodies it, we want to give you the opportunity to do just that, to begin fresh for the first time in your life to commit 
your life to Christ, to submit to the only one who would never take advantage of it. If that's you, then just pray silently where you're sitting, something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need your grace and I need your truth. And so in this moment, I choose to confess my sin to you. I am deciding to put it all on the table in order to receive your forgiveness so that I might follow you. I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me, that you rose again for me, and I accept. Savior and Lord. And I celebrate both as I pray this prayer in your name. Just for a moment, if you would, keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. If that was your prayer, then we, the church, have the privilege of helping with what comes next because this is just the beginning for you. In just a minute, we'll give you a little bit more information about how that happens. But in this moment, if you would, as our heads are bowed, just raise your hand. If that was your prayer, raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment as a statement physically of the commitment spiritually that you just made. And know that as a church, as a family of faith with you, we celebrate that. And our family tradition around here is that you can put your hands down, but we're gonna put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home. 